0: Today on the Ward Preacher Podcast, the world of Abraham, the lie that wasn't, and a battle, a high priest, and a covenant. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. Our Come Follow Me curriculum for this coming week will bring us to Genesis 12 through 17 and Abraham 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and get started talking about the Book of Abraham. There are some people, enemies of the church, who will criticize the Book of Abraham, saying that it's not a translation of the facsimiles that appear throughout the book. There are three facsimiles that appear to be. Um, kind of Egyptian hieroglyphic type, uh, artistic representations. And, uh, they'll frequently claim that some Egyptologist looked at it and said that's not what it means. Um, of course, that's nonsense. Uh, a, a vital key to understanding the Book of Abraham is that, uh, The facsimiles have explanations associated with them that Joseph Smith gave. The source material for the book of Abraham is not these three facsimiles. We don't have source material for any Egyptologist to look at. Uh, And this, this story was inspired. It came through the power of God. Uh, What we have is the chapters in the Book of Abraham. So it's important to understand a little bit about translation, because Joseph Smith didn't translate everything that he attempted to using the same techniques. The Book of Mormon was translated by a very direct and specific revelation, specific words being given and seer stones being used to ensure that it was absolutely accurate. Uh, The Joseph Smith translation, on the other hand, was not given using the original records on which uh, Old Prophets wrote. It was not done by looking at uh, Hebrew and Greek words and determining the most accurate meanings of these words. It was given by uh, inspiration as he read the English version and consulted the Lord through the Holy Ghost and gained further insight into understanding the scriptures. Um, Now, it's also true that Joseph Smith became a student of ancient history, and he tried to learn all that he could about traditional methods of language and translating, studying Egyptian and ancient Hebrew, and uh, this was a more secular approach. The things that he found uh, at this time They were not necessarily translations from God as the Book of Mormon or the Book of Abraham were. So kind of separating that is critical to us understanding the value in the Book of Abraham. Now, some people also will criticize the book saying, you know, oh, it talks about the Chaldeans uh, having Egyptian gods, but they were, you know, many, many miles away. They were distant lands. How would they possibly have been connected? Well, what scholars have found is that this period of history, the Bronze Age, actually incredibly uh, uh, interesting uh, period of history. Um, Many countries rose and had power over certain areas the Egyptians and the Hittites and the Minoans and Mycenaeans in Crete and over by the Aegean, Old Assyria, Old Babylon. Uh, many of these nations not only knew about one another, but traded with one another. Egypt was found to have um, copper that had come from the Minoans and Mycenaeans. Tin that had been mined in modern-day Afghanistan was mixed with said copper to create bronze for which the age was named. These people did know about one another and were connected. In fact, they were large enough in their empires and their reach that the, the Hittites, who occupied even modern-day Turkey, had a big war with the Egyptians... Uh, even though they were very far away from one another. And you can see a big contrast between when that occurred and after the Bronze Age collapse, in which when Moses escaped from Egypt uh, into a region that would have been well within the old Egyptians' reach, uh, they just had to deal with local nations or city-states or confederacies there. Um, So the world that's described in Abraham is absolutely real. And that's important to understand. As Abraham comes out of the land of the Chaldeans, um, he has a, a priority that's a little bit different from everyone else in the world at this time. And the book of Abraham helps us to know what that priority is. Which brings us to our first reading, Abraham 1 verse 2. And finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me, I sought for the blessings of the fathers, and the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same, having been myself a follower of righteousness, desiring also to be one who possessed great knowledge, and to be a greater follower of righteousness, and to possess a greater knowledge, and to be a father of many nations, a prince of peace, and desiring to receive instructions and to keep the commandments of God, I became a rightful heir, a high priest, holding the right belonging to the fathers. Now, Genesis does a pretty good job of explaining uh, the Lord's response to Abraham's righteous desires, not only to have righteousness, but to have greater righteousness, not just to have knowledge, but greater knowledge, a desire to increase, to grow closer to what had been lost. And this is what we read in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So here we have our first inklings of what we now, in modern times, know as the Abrahamic Covenant. We have bits of this that are repeated uh, in greater detail as Abraham lives his life. But it's important that at the very beginning, Abraham uh, receives some detail. He knows a little bit about where this is heading. And he can have confidence that the Lord will keep his promises. So the Bronze Age, this time in which Abraham was living, it, it was in the process of decline. The collapse isn't something that happened overnight, um, but uh, we do see like a collapse occurred. And the only major nation of all of them that were around that kind of stuck around was Egypt. But they never really were as big as they once were. They were stuck over around the Nile. They didn't have the same influence they had in other parts of the world during this collapse period. And some people talk about the raiding of sea peoples or other natural disasters, earthquakes, fires, Um another thing that contributed to this though famine you'll see a theme with famine during these times when this age is collapsing now this is important because even though abraham was faithful he was not exempt from the troubles of his time he still had to travel and uh, and deal with hardships The same is true for all faithful. So, of course, the people that had a lot of food were people near these big rivers like the Nile. Um, And Abraham was going to have to go to Egypt. This was kind of a worrisome thing. So we have an account here that uh, looks like Abraham is just going to lie about stuff so that he's okay. Let's go ahead and read this. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, When the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass, when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her, and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep, and oxen, and asses, and men servants and maidservants, and she-asses, and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues, because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou, She is my sister, so I might have taken her to me to wife? Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife and all that he had. So here we have a situation that looks like the prophet lied. How could a prophet of God lie and get away with that? I mean, if he was truly following God, why didn't God protect Abraham more? Surely that was within God's power. Well, the book of Abraham clarifies that it was the Lord who gave Abraham this counsel to say that uh, Sarah was his sister. And this wasn't necessarily a lie at all. Uh, She was the daughter of Haran, Abraham's brother. And this made Lot, who was also um, a son of Haran, the brother of Sarai. And we see in other places, for example, Genesis 14 14, that even though he was a nephew, he was called brother. They were kin, they were family. It was an appropriate cultural thing to do, even though he knew that the Egyptians would take it another way. He was trying not to get killed. They were trying to keep Abraham safe. Now, of course, the Lord could have used more miraculous means to protect Abraham from the Egyptians. But being faithful, even in difficult conditions, prepared Abraham to achieve his end original desire to gain greater righteousness, greater knowledge, greater wisdom. And of course, the greatest manifestation of his faithfulness uh, is what we see with Isaac, which we will discuss next week. All right, so after leaving Egypt, Abraham and Lot, his, uh, his nephew, kind of separated, and Lot took up residence in the plains of Jordan. This is another thing, the details about which uh, we'll talk about more next time. Abraham kind of separated. He went further south, and uh, in this region, there was a big battle between powers. Various kings of city-states and nations um, came, and did battle, and the local city-states, including the king of Sodom and king of Gomorrah, were defeated, and their goods were spoiled. They took men and women and servants and goods and carried them away north. Well, Abraham found out about this, and he heard that Lot had been captured. So he, in a hurry, armed about 300 of his own servants and rushed by night to overtake this uh, triumphant army who had all of these spoils. His ambush was successful and he brought back all of the things that had been stolen. Now in this process, someone in the region uh, who we don't have a lot about in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, the high priest of Salem, he brings forth bread and wine and blesses Abraham. Uh, Abraham, in turn, pays tithes to the great high priest, showing humility and honor for the old order of the priesthood from which his own authority came. Uh, this is an important event. This shows there's a connection between what happened in the old times and what Abraham had been given. Now, of course, uh, as Abraham advanced in years, it was easy to see why it was becoming a little frustrating. He had been promised that he would have great posterity, that through his nation, through his family, all peoples of the earth would be blessed, and he had no children. So the Lord commands Abraham, as he's advancing in years, To make a sacrifice, a she-goat, a ram, a turtle-dove, and a young pigeon. So he divides these animals up, except for the birds, and he sets the carcasses down. And he spends all day defending these sacrificed animals from birds and other things that want to pick them apart. Chases them away. All day trying to do this. And when the night comes, a deep sleep. Falls on Abraham. And this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 18. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward, They come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces— In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So he gets a confirmation, some more details about the same covenant, this Abrahamic covenant. But it's not done. At age 99, Abraham receives another revelation. And he's promised that he will be the father of many nations and that the land of Canaan will be an everlasting possession. Now, this is important, this covenant. Um, It's it's a, a vital thing that for all people to understand, it's an example. It's the Lord showing how one people with priesthood property, and posterity, the three pillars of the Abrahamic covenant, rights to to the priesthood, to receive covenants and ordinances with the Lord, a land to inherit, and children to whom these blessings can be passed. These are the pillars of this covenant. And it's a sign for what the Lord could do to all peoples, returning all those who have fallen as Israel would fall, back to the old covenants that were lost, as the rest of the world could have happened as well, they having fallen from the covenants that the Lord established with Noah. It's important because in the end, the restoration of these promises is happening now. And just as the Abrahamic covenant was revealed over time, So is the restoration of the gospel. It's more than a single event. God is not lying when he declares that his church has the fullness of the gospel uh, and then additionally sends more revelation and more news. The gospel in its fullness is a representation of the good news that Jesus Christ is truly coming to save us. Abraham's faith in all circumstances reflected how genuine his desire for greater righteousness was, not just a temporary spiritual fire followed by diminished faith, but it was something that he sought his whole life, truly an example to emulate. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Next week, we will look at Genesis 18 through 23, talking about Abraham and Isaac. Of course, there is a ton of stuff that we did not get to in this week's reading. Please study that individually and with your family. And as always, fight on.